Hi, I'm Allison Shelton, writer and creator of the indie comic Reburn. You may have heard about us on Indie Comic Spotlight, thanks to Tony and Rhea. Reburn follows May, a superpowered woman who takes on the cult-like utopian society that ripped her life apart. Our comic picks up when she's ready to burn it all down. We're incredibly proud of our all-female team, myself, artist Elise McCall, editor Jessica Patel, colorist Hilary Jenkins, and letterer Joan McGill. Renowned comic writer and artist Kari Andrews said of Reburn, it's an impressive debut, a violent, visceral, and emotion-fueled spectacle. A story you need to read right now. We agree. And we have hard copies and digital copies of issues one through four available on our website, reburncomic.com. That's R-E-B-U-R-N comic.com. Check it out. Episode of Indie Comic Spotlight, the show where we do a deep dive into an ongoing series or graphic novel from a company other than the big two. This is the best of the rest. And I'm here riding solo. But I'm not, really. I mean, I'm here with you, listener. Hello. Thanks for being here with me. But I'm also here with my fellow Gen Xers. Hello, Gen Xers. How are you? Feeling invisible? feeling that everybody skips us over, feeling that everybody says, oh, those millennials, and oh, the boomers, and oh, the Gen Z kids, or Zoomers, I guess they're being called, and oh, whatever the next ones, the ABCs, whatever they're probably going to be called next. Feeling feeling bummed, feeling that everybody has forgotten you. I do. Again, totally feel that way. Um, it's pretty frustrating. <laughs> it's been that way. And yet, there's still, look, we had punk rock. Uh, We had some good stuff, right? We had NSYNC, I guess, or technically they're also Gen Xers. I don't know. Um, I know, punk rock and boy bands, whatever. But those are things we had, right? We had Michael Keaton as Batman. Now the other kids are going to get Michael Keaton as Batman, and they're like, ha, Michael Keaton is Batman. Michael Keaton, who the hell's that? I didn't know Birdman was Batman, and we're going to be like, punks, listen. We don't mean punks in a good way. Uh, but the nice thing is, is there's other Gen Xers out there who are reminding you that it's okay, that you exist, that you are a person, and that you went through some shit, man. You went through life, and you saw some things, and you were like, I was here. Whether the media pretends I'm here or not, and I'm not going on to, I'm not turning this into a thing where I'm crapping on the media the media, air quotes, because that's all garbage anyway. But you know what I'm saying. You Gen Xers out there know there's literally polls that were just left off. We're just people forget us all the time. We've had one president, and that's all we're probably going to get, right? We had President Obama, and then after that, there were just, it's next, it's going to be another boomer, and then it'll be a millennial, uh, President Buttigieg, and then that's going to be it. And we just, we didn't exist. We, did, we got one president. We get nothing. But we existed. And we had really interesting, amazing adventures. Because 
we are generation and Chuck Klosterman's the 90s, Klosterman's the 90s, and I know I've talked about this on here before, is a really great look at what it's like to like coming of adulthood uh, and the technological revolution. Uh, because, you know, there's the millennials, they're, they're, they don't remember not having the internet, although they weren't born with it. And obviously the Zoomers, they always have just had it. Um, but even millennials are considered like digital natives because they started getting smartphones, even just cell phones, I guess, as teenagers. We didn't have any of that. Like getting your first cell phone, getting a pager was like cutting edge technology um, for us. It was cool. We were just like part of this revolution of... Um, of technology and before it we listened to cassettes and i know those are cool again and we listened to wax albums and i know those are cool again and we bought books that are made of paper and i know those are cool again and we took polaroids which were pictures you took and then it came out and you waited and i know all these things are cool again which is cool and i'm not shitting on that but all that stuff and i've never watched this show but apparently everybody who watches um Stranger Things and has this whole affinity for like this cool 80s culture, kids on bikes and what it was like on E.T. and all this weird kind of unsupervised life. That was life. That was our life. It was just the way we grew up. We grew up like I came home from elementary school by myself, like elementary school. So in America, for my British friends, elementary school is like you're between five and maybe 11 or 12 in elementary school, depending on how your school goes down. So I'm like six or seven and I'm coming home off the bus and I walk my quarter mile, half mile to my house. And I let myself in with my key and you were called latchkey kids because the key was latched around your neck. And then I would just hang out, wait, and then my sister would show up. She was older than me. And then it would just be us for a few hours. And then my parents would come home. By 12, my parents would just like go away for the night or go away for the weekend and just leave me home alone. It's just how it was. And I know that sounds crazy bananas, but it's true. And so there's this other Gen Xer. His name is Dan Santat, and he is a graphic novelist. Um, he has um, other books. Uh, he won the uh, Randolph Caldecott Medal in 2015. He's had the number one New York Times bestseller. He's done all kinds of good stuff. And I got my hands on an advanced reader copy of A First Time for Everything. And it comes out tomorrow from the day I'm recording this, but it came out two days ago from the day this is being released. So I'm, this is coming out the first week of March. This week, the last day of February, from first, second book in Macmillan Children's, Dan Santet put out a book called The First Time for Everything. And it's about Dan. It's his own personal life story. And this is totally true about going on a trip to Europe, a children's, you know, a trip, like a middle school trip to Europe, and then essentially being unsupervised for most of the time. Like, He's never been there. He doesn't really have any friends. He was bullied in school, all this crazy banana stuff. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to wander around Europe all by myself. And it's true. Like, my favorite thing about it is, you know, it's like all the struggle and his mom's like, oh, Dan, I'm going to miss you and call us and check in on us. But of course, there was no cell phone. So he just went to Europe and there was no way to know what was going on. Like his mom, um, has uh, lupus and so she doesn't get to go anywhere they don't travel they don't do things because you know that's just kind of his life and he kind of lives in his head as we introverts do who are kind of weirdos you know we just live in our own heads and read comic books and do stuff and dan's got some social anxiety and um 
he doesn't like being the center of attention. And so the book kind of starts where he's been bullied and he goes through some stuff and is made fun of, uh, you know, in front of the school. And it's pretty ugly. It's ugly, rough time. And when you're already a quiet, kind of weirdy kid, and then to be called out, you know, in public like that, that's no fun. Anyway, so Dan's, this is his life. And his parents decide to allow him to go on this trip. They really push him. They want to expand his horizons you know he's only really got a couple of friends and so they're like you're going you're going on this trip it'll be super cool and so he goes and it's banana pants like to see it through the lens the modern lens even though i'm a gen xer to see it through the lens of that it's like yep that checks out oh no that checks out yep that's a thing that's a thing that happened i was just on a plane an international flight, I'm, I'm dropped off in Paris and said, okay, we'll meet you at five. Now, you don't have a phone. You don't know anybody. You don't speak French. And your, and, and your chaperone says, well, there's the Eiffel Tower. It's the tallest building in the city. So just meet there at five. You know how to tell time. There is no time, right? And, and so just go, do. And it is this amazing coming of age story. And it's true. This is all true. And the best part about it is at the very end of the book, Dan um, includes actual pictures from the trip, which is, they're just great. And he's such a good expressive artist. So he writes this and he draws it himself. And while he's a cartoonist, right? And so when we say a cartoonist, we don't mean like he's drawing just like motion cartoons, although he could be. It's just a different style of art. He's not, he's not photorealistic. He's not doing um, like hardcore comic art, you know, he's not doing something that, it's not superhero comics, although he could do that, you know, it's not the muscle-bound stuff where, you know, the idea behind a superhero comic is you're supposed to look at Batman, or you're supposed to look at Wolverine, or you're supposed to look at, you know, Spawn and say, that's a person in there, I can see that's a person in there, but it's a heightened superhero, like, you know, Greek god sculpture kind of person inside there whereas what dan is doing as a cartoonist he's more uh, uh dealing with like broad themes and um expressions and so like cartoons like when you think back about like childhood cartoons and again if you grew up with regular tv and everything wasn't streaming again a very gen x thing you just watch cartoons and you recognize that that's not what a rabbit looks like that's not what a whatever it looks like, but it's whatever that thing is, right? Whatever the Animaniacs are, the Warners, um, you see them and they're expressive. They're not real things, but they have very expressive faces and their eyes are, uh, make, you know, they're bigger, they're smaller, they're, they're very um, telling, you know, eyes are the window to the soul. And I think what cartoonists do very, very well is because they're not trying to draw every single muscle and they're not trying to show you, you know, action in that way. And they're not trying to like bounce around the page in a traditional kind of sequential art comic book panel. You know, cartoonists, when they do sequential art, there is motion there, but it's usually done with more lines, more line work. So there's like a couple of scenes in here where like one of the teachers is really excited about something and her eyes are big and expressive. And of course, you know, she's pointing her finger up and then around her head, her lines going up. And then the rest of the kids are like, what? Oh, is the sound bubble. And there's like this, there's like nine faces and they all have the exact same shocked face lines on their face, worry lines. They look tired and bedraggled because they've been traveling all day. And it's this amazing thing. And then the next scene, 
they're driving around on a bus, they're going sightseeing, and there's the Arc de Triomphe, and there's, you know, Versailles. And then they look totally different. Then they're all smiling, and he, he draws their eyes in a different expressive way. And, they're, and you know, he, he colors it in a way like, oh, you know, there's rosy cheeks or whatever. So he's a cartoonist in that way. And he really captures this sense of, like, being a middle schooler and the full range of emotions. Like, there's a couple of pages where you see Dan and his friends and the people that he meets along the way go through like all of the emotions all in like like that because that's what it's like to be a teenager right you're like you're mad you're happy you're sad you're scared you're angry you're tired you're grumpy you're hungry you're this and you just jump right it's like you're going through this kind of schizophrenic range of emotion because that's what it's like to be a teenager that's what it's like to be a middle schooler everything is everything all the time like it's a full constant holy crap everything is awful or everything is awesome and now it's awful again and now it's this again and you may just think back right to that moment so but then imagine you're doing all that and you're doing it in a vacuum because there is no internet you don't you're not sharing every emotion you have you're not taking pictures of everything that you're doing and sharing it you're just sitting with it so dan's actually have to like think back and like relive it because he doesn't have any pictures like there's this running theme of that his camera is sucky and he's an artist, so of course he's drawing pictures of things that he's seeing, but he's not in those pictures, of course, because he's just drawing the things that he's seeing. And so he's actually does piece together some of the photos that his friends still had of that. But think about that. Like there's no digital representation until now, right, of them scanning a picture. But for him to be writing something about the eighties now in the twenty thirty in twenty twenty three, you know, when he did it in twenty twenty two, he did this book, he had to like call people up or he had to dig through a scrapbook and be like oh do i have that picture does that exist And if it doesn't exist it just didn't exist so again it's this really amazing time um in the world that is very unique to gen xers where technology exists pictures exist you know long distance calling is a thing there's buses there's planes international travel isn't arm-breakingly expensive so it is different than it was for boomers it is different than it was for the greatest generation and obviously it's different still because you're doing it in a vacuum again i keep coming back to this idea that this whole story takes place in a vacuum but what dan has done with his beautiful cartoonish cartoonist excuse me cartoonist style is he brings to life an event that changed his life that brought this book to us. So it's like, you know, hat on hat. And I, I've been reading lots of graphic memoirs lately, and I do love a graphic memoir. And I know, um, you know, it's not as, you know, it's not as compelling maybe as, you know, um, Why the Last Man or, um, you know, which is an amazing comic book series and it's dark and desolate and it's got all these things and it's tense and there's a monkey and, you know, all the things that, you know, you've read that, whatever. It's not like that. It's not that kind of story that you're telling. It's it's not fantastic. Like there's not the risk levels different in a graphic memoir. But because it is a graphic memoir in a space that you don't know, I mean, we know because Dan lives, we know he lives, but I don't know who any of these other people are. So these are real people and they're real lives. And it, you get engrossed in the lives of these other people. Um, and, you know, you're like, oh, how did, I wonder if Dan still knows that person. I wonder if he's still in touch with her. And then at the end, he gives us some of that. But again, what he's relying on is memory. And there's this beautiful thing about remembering things. And I am going to get on my grumpy old man uh, podium here for a second, my grumpy old man soapbox, and say, there's a difference between information and knowledge, right? Anybody can look anything up now. You're like, oh, who is that person in that thing? 
And then you have to look it up and you're like, oh, that was that person. And then, you know, 10 minutes later or 10 days later or 10 weeks later, you see that person again and you probably didn't remember that person's name because you looked it up and you put it up, looked it up on IMDb and it said, that's that actor and that thing. You looked it up in Goodreads and like, so, oh, so-and-so wrote that book. And then you forget because you just looked it up and we think information is knowledge and that information is memory. I've got my phone, but that, that isn't, it didn't happen. We're, not that isn't the way it always was, and and I'm not saying that there's that it's bad to have all the answers to have a supercomputer in your pocket. It's super cool, but there is also something to just having to try to remember and having to try to sit in the moment and live in the moment. And you don't document everything with a picture, and you don't document everything not only with the picture but by posting a picture immediately. None of that exists, and you just have to sit with it and 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 feel it. Bigger. And I think the two things are connected. I think this idea, this instant gratification of I can know anything because all I have to do is go, oh, who was the songwriter for this? And I can look it up and then I know who the songwriter is. I air quote know who the songwriter is, but I really don't know anything. I've looked it up. I have an answer for who the songwriter was, but that doesn't mean I'm going to remember it because I didn't commit it to memory because I didn't care enough because when I forget in 10 minutes, I can look it up again or I can look it up later. And it's the same thing with your life experiences. If you don't sit with them, if you don't spend some time and, you know, Dan sits and draw, literally, literally draws his life. And so he has to sit in the moment, try to relive that emotion, try to capture that emotion in his amazing cartoonist style. He has to capture the emotion of what he thought the people on the trip were feeling. He has to express what it was like for the first time to have somebody say, oh, that's a good picture, or to somebody say, oh, that was a dumb thing you did, and like live with the embarrassment and live with all of those emotions all at once, right? And he has to sit with those and he has to remember them because he doesn't have a he doesn't just have a scroll through of pictures to take. And I I'm sure this is apocryphal, but I've heard like every day the amount of pictures that are taken, digital pictures that are taken every day is more pictures than ever were in all of human history combined up to that point. And I'm sure that's no longer true. I'm sure we've reached a point where maybe three or four years ago that stopped. But there was a moment at the beginning of everybody having a phone that had, you know, was high quality camera and people were taking pictures of everything and they were, you know, posting it all. And again, but still to think about it, I took two pictures today. Um, Yesterday, I didn't take any. Um, I could look, I mean, you know, my camera, like if I handed you my camera, you'd be like, how have you lived? There's no pictures of anything. You don't do anything. And I don't, that's true. I I mean, I do things, but I don't take pictures of them. I, it's just not a thing I do. Like, honestly, um, if it weren't for my wife, I'd have very few pictures of my life. She takes pictures. She documents things. I would get like my kids, you know, take a picture of them playing sports or I'd get their school picture. That was pretty much it. Like every moment of every day, I didn't need to photograph them. Um, I just didn't do it. And I'm sure they probably hate me for that, for not documenting their life well. And then by the time they got to be, because again, my kids are millennials and young young millennials and old Gen Zs, they started being able to take their own pictures. So they've got photo rolls and photo rolls of all that stuff. And I don't know if they ever look back at them, you know, but there's something about remembering and I, I like pictures, and I have pictures. I'm not opposed to pictures, but there is still something about remembering. There's something about trying to hold on to knowledge 
by connecting a feeling to it. And that's what this book really captures is, is that is capturing a feeling and holding on to the first time you experience something new, the first time you fall in love, the first time, and the cool things that he does. And I'm not going to spoil this book because I want you to get it. And this is middle reader book, but you can give it to anybody. Like if you are a Gen Xer and you are listening right now, which statistically speaking, you probably are because the majority of the listeners to my show are other Gen Xers. And I know there's some boomers. Hello. And I know there's some millennials and Zoomers. Hello. Thanks for listening. Uh, maybe, Dan, you're listening to this. Maybe you saw that I posted this about your book. And you're like, hey, somebody covered my comic. I would like to listen. That would be cool. I'm definitely going to send a link to Chantel at Macmillan. Thank you for the arc, by the way, Chantel. Thank you for that. It's amazing. Um, I'll send her a link. So maybe she's going to listen. Hello, Chantel. Hello. Thanks for the book. And so regardless of your generation, this is a book for you. It is a middle reader's book, but it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter who you are on all those people I just thanked and all those people who are listening. You should pick this up. You should totally give this a read because it, it, it captures a moment in time that matters to me, that should matter to every other Gen Xer, but should also inspire. I hope there's a Zoomer or a millennial reading this who's like, man, I want to go on an adventure. I want to do. And I know it's like weird because there's no way your parents are going to let you. There's no way that's something you would have ever been allowed to do, which is to just wander off and just be like, be home by dark. That was my bedtime. That was when I had to come home, right? It was like, not bedtime, but that was when I had to come home. It was like dark. I could just leave in the morning, get on my bike, ride around town, cross traffic. Nobody knew. I mean, I lived, I grew up near Lake Michigan. I could walk there. I could ride my bike there in, you know, less than five minutes. The lake, Lake Michigan. If you've never been to Lake Michigan, it's huge. It's it's huge. I just gone, just go there. There was a creek by my house when I was out at my grandparents' farm. There was like pond and open waters and, you know, weird tractors, you know, running around and people in the in the back the back of the property. There was like one of those old country roads where people probably drag raced for sure, but they were definitely going too fast. And they're just like, yeah, go. You go do. Go do whatever you need to do. It was just such a weird existence. Um and I think this book really just captures it so beautifully and and I'm not wistful. You know, I'm glad the internet exists. I'm recording this. I'm putting it out on the internet. I work online. I'm glad for the things that we have. But I am, again, I, I, I miss something. And it's not like I'm not a simpler times guy because, you know, I also know that things in the 80s sucked for lots of people. Things in the 60s sucked. Things now suck for lots of people. I'm not trying to pretend that Dan is trying to capture some, oh, it was a better, more innocent, fake bullshit time where it was like, oh, you know, leave it to Beaver was nonsense, right? It's not that. He's not writing that. He's showing some real ugly stuff in here, right? There's some real things that happen and he shows different lifestyles of different people and you know, he deals with class, he deals with race, all those things are on full display. So it's not like pretending that in the 80s, there was some golden time where everybody got along and it was utopia. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm, what I'm, what this book makes me long for. This just this book just makes me long for a time where you could feel comfortable experiencing life. And it's okay if you forgot, it's okay if you didn't document it, it's okay if you went to a show and you didn't video it the whole time. Like you went to a show and you took no pictures of the show. You didn't take any video of the show. You didn't share a picture of yourself at the show. You were just seeing the concert or whatever. So like in this, he sneaks into an event. I'm not going to say what event, 
but he sneaks into it. This is all real. And he doesn't take any pictures. He doesn't do anything except enjoy it because he admits he was afraid that if he drew too much attention to himself by taking all the pictures or whatever, they'd get kicked out. It's kind of snuck into this event. And so it's super cool to say, all I can do is sit here and live in it. And yes, I understand the irony that now he's drawing a picture of it and he's capturing that moment. But again, he's capturing it in a non-perfect way, right? I think the book is perfect. I gave it five stars on Goodreads. I think it's spectacular. It is a spectacular book. But non-perfect meaning his memory is what's guiding us. So of course it's imperfect because it's just Dan's memory of the event. It can't be everybody's memory of the event because it's his experience and the person he's with it's her experience and the other people on the trip. They could retell, somebody else could tell their own version of this European trip and have a totally different experience to share. But that's awesome and that's okay. And it's not documented so we can go, oh no, that was the thing. There's these commercials I see now. I don't even know what they're for. But they're like, people are arguing and they throw the red flag like in American football, which is the replay flag. And then the people come out and they look at the replay and they're like, oh, see? And I understand that's the point of the joke is, you know, People are arguing and you could get the replay and do whatever. But I mean, we're not that far, right? I mean, Big Brother is watching everybody. I and mean, that is just a fact. Everything is being recorded at all times. I'm recording this on purpose, of course. But like, you know, you're out in the world. You're probably being filmed. And somebody could probably find a video of you doing whatever and play it back and determine whatever you said at any given time as long as you're in public. And so, again, it's it's this interesting look at a time in life where that wasn't happening, but it was just before that. And that's what makes it fascinating is to see the edge of the technology that would become, to see the way things were going to be and and for him to be doing it in a time, reflecting back, like he's in a time, he's in now, thinking back on that, and he's showing us the change, he's showing us the dawn of this new generation, uh, this new level of technology, this new way to live. And, and, you know, and it's a layer, right? He's, he's recreating it by hand through memory instead of recreating it through like a video that he's made from every picture he's ever taken. And so it's just special and it's just a lovely book. And I'm, I'm so pleased to have read it. And I think it's okay to have pleasant memories. I also think it's obviously dangerous to say, oh, it was always better. Again, I don't think that's what Dan's saying. That's definitely what I'm saying. But I think it's okay to look back on your moments in life and say, like, that was sweet. That was nice. That was cool. That was scary. That was fill in the blank. That was dangerous. He acknowledges in his afternoons, like, this was a weird, dangerous time. And, you know, I'm sure he wouldn't just let his kids go to Europe and just wander around. But you know what? People do it. And that's the thing. You know, sometimes... You just do a thing and you have an adventure that you never told me about. You, Everybody did something. Everybody's got stories of being a kid where you went out and you did a thing and the only people who knew were the people that were with and it was dangerous. And if your mom knew or your dad knew or your grandma knew, they would beat your ass because they're like, what were you doing out there that's dangerous and scary and I'm going to beat your ass so you don't do that again. But we've all had those moments where we have like weird, crazy adventures and they seem unbelievable when you tell the stories back, uh, but they're not, and they're real. And so this book will make you think about those moments. They'll think you think about the time 
that you did that thing. And, you know, this uh, Stephen King's The Body, which became Stand By Me, there's a line in there in the book and the film, you know, nobody ever had any friends like they did when they were 12. Like, I didn't have any friends like I did when I was 12. Jesus did anybody. And that is true. You didn't. But not because your friends when you were 12 are the best friends of your life. Although, if you're still friends with one of your best friends when you were 12, that's awesome. But there's just something about being 12, about being in that state. You know, you're not arrested. I'm not saying it's arrested development. You're in the state of development, but you're not a child, a child child, but you're not a teenager. You're not an adult. You're in this weird space where you're like figuring yourself out. And these adventures, these moments, these kids on bike moments, the wandering around wherever by yourself, the digging in the backyard and having thinking big thoughts or getting lost for the day and then coming home and realizing nobody even knew you were gone. Like those moments are so important to you. They're such growth moments. And, uh, and that's okay. And that's okay to, to reminisce about those things and think, oh, that was cool. Even when being 12 sucked or even, you know, everybody's childhood is different. And I'm not pretending there isn't trauma for children. Of course there is. And this book isn't, this is a book that's like breaking through that and saying, yes, you're going to have bad days when you're a kid. You're going to have horrible things probably when you're a kid, but you're also going to have some good days. And that even through the stuff, the classism and the racism, whatever, being 12 is pretty cool. Um, it can be anyway, uh, even in small bursts. And that's it, because we see Dan go through being embarrassed and being miserable and being sad and being freaked out. And all those things happen all at once. So it's just fantastic. So I can't recommend it enough. So thanks again to First Second Books and to McMillan and Chantel for giving me this arc. This is a I always say, you know, the cliche is this is a book for everyone. But seriously, you could sit with your eight-year-old and read this book. You could give it to a 12-year-old. You, as an adult, could read it and reminisce about this thing, regardless of your generation, whether you're a Gen Xer or Gen Z or millennial, whatever, boomer. You could read this book, and you can reminisce about that moment, about that place in time where you grew up, where you did that thing for the first time, and that, that changed your life. It's huge. Being 12, your feelings are huge, and you feel them all all at the same time. And this is just a perfect, beautiful story about all of that. So it's so good. So, so good. So uh, thank you all for listening. Um, you should go pick up this book. Read, read, read it. Read more books. Experience life. Get out there and do something fun. Go just get off the grid. Shut off your phone. Go go have fun experiencing some, experience something and don't take pictures. Next time you go to an event... Just try not to take in a picture. Just try not to do a video. I am going to go see They Might Be Giants in a few weeks, and I am not going to take any pictures. Now, unless I end up somehow backstage and I meet the Johns, then of course, I would definitely want to take a picture with myself with the Johns. But I don't need to do that, right? I need to go, and that's not going to happen. So I'm just going to go and see one of my all-time favorite bands and have a great time and experience it. That's what I'm going to do. Try that. Next time you go somewhere, try to just experience it and then talk about it later. Use your words, right? <laughs> uh, draw a picture. Tell a story about the event. Try to recreate it and share the thing you felt in that moment with somebody else in a different way other than saying, look at this picture. That picture is awesome, but the picture doesn't describe the feeling. So try to sit with the feeling the next time you have an experience, whether it's a walk in the park, day with your kids, day with your partner, you know, laying on the floor watching the ceiling fan, whatever the event is, try to sit with it. Don't record it in the way you think to. Don't pick up your phone and record it. Keep the old brain pan open and then try to record it later. Draw a picture, write a story, tell a friend about that moment. Okay, please try that. That's what I hope I've done telling you about this book. So thanks for listening. Please go to my website, arforina.com. 
sign up for my newsletter, send me a message there. Uh, I've got some more solo shows coming up. And I've got an amazing interview from another first second book coming up with Ada. And that's coming up at the end of March. That's going to be super cool. Um, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. And I'll see you in a week.